came across a very interesting story this week about a missionary who went to Africa, one of the very first missionaries who went to Africa, sharing the gospel everywhere he went with person after person after person. And he got to this one village, and he started sharing the gospel all over the village to the point that everyone in the village ended up getting saved and becoming a Christian. And he began to instruct the people in the village, now that you know Jesus, you need to, to spend some dedicated time day in and day out with him in prayer, in scripture, as they were translating the scripture into the language of this village. And, and so this, what this, this group did in this village is they found every individual in the village, found a specific spot just outside the village where they would go and pray. Everybody had their own. And it was in the tall grass just outside of the village. So one guy would go to this spot, one guy would go to the next spot next to him, and so on and so forth down the line. Well, what they discovered was, as they would go and spend their time with the Lord and walk a path to get out there, it became a consistent path, and the, and the grass on the way out there would begin to get beaten down. And where they would kneel down in the tall grass and pray would just be a flat patch. And it became very evident when one of their friends who would pray next to them would not go out there and pray because the grass began to grow up on the path and on the place where they were, had been kneeling down. And they would say to one another, brother, grass grows on your path yonder. Let's pray together right now. You see, when we don't pray as followers of Jesus, it is very evident to those who are closest to us. When we go and we become lax in a day-to-day -day effort of spending intentional time with the Lord, it becomes evident to those who are closest to us, whether we are spending time with the Lord or are not, in our attitude, in our responses, in our stress level. And so we're going to take a look today at exactly what prayer is and what prayer does. Answering that question, what is the point of prayer? We're going to start in James chapter 5. We're going to be all over scripture today. So you're welcome to flip around. You're welcome to go to, uh, on our website, there's a section for sermons. It's got the sermon notes in there, although in my quiet time this morning, the Lord changed it up quite a bit, but most of it's there, uh, some of it, I should say. Or you can grab one of the Bibles there on the pew in front of you. Uh, and, and again, if you do not have a Bible, take that Bible home with you. That can be your Bible, all right? Everybody needs a Bible. And so if you don't have one, just grab the one out of that pew in front of you, and that's your Bible. The, the ushers outside aren't going to stop you at the door and say, why are you taking that out of the church? No, it's your Bible. Take it home. Uh, that's why we have them. We're going to start in James chapter 5, down in verse 16. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote this. All right? James, the brother of Jesus. He writes, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he kicks off that verse, confess your sins to one another. Now, if we were to go around the room and, and ask the question, of all of the instructions of Jesus, how good, at you, how, how good are you at that one? Confess your sins to one another. We're very good at confessing someone else's sins, right, to somebody else. But when it comes to confessing our own sins, it's all more like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I have an unspoken. Like, it's just something going on. I'm struggling. It's this deal. And we're not very good at confessing our sins to each other. Um, but the idea behind that phrase that James is pointing out is this is supposed to help us. 
You see, because it's one sentence there. It's not just confess your sins to one another, period. He says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The idea isn't you confess your sin to me and I say, okay, and we move on. It's I confess your sin to you and then we pray together over that issue that I'm going through because you're going through something else. Whether it's the same issue or maybe the thing that I'm struggling with, you've already dealt with. Or maybe I'm dealing with it and you're going to deal with it in two years. You don't know it yet, but you helping me get through it now will help you get through it in two years. Because everybody's going through something. And so we got to pray for each other and get through it. Because look at what he says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healed, delivered from the thing, whatever it is you're struggling with. And we ought to pray for healing for one another. It's a good thing. That's what he says. Pray to be healed miraculously. It's something that right here, Scripture tells us we need to do, we ought to do. It should be instrumental in who we are. However, I I heard this morning, I was listening to a sermon, uh, deeply convicting. Uh, A guy I consider to be one of the greatest preachers of all time, his name's Adrian Rogers. He's in heaven now. Uh, But he has a YouTube channel, and they put up sermons several times a week, uh, and it's, got, it's really neat. It's got all his notes and stuff on the screen. It's really cool. But um, this morning, I was listening to a sermon. He was preaching on prayer. And he said this, how often do we pray for people to come to know Jesus compared to how often we pray for our fellow Christians to get well? He says, it always seemed a little strange to, strange to me. We're more interested in keeping the saints out of heaven than the lost out of hell. And I thought, okay, that completely changes the way I need to be praying. (laughs) Uh, Not that we should pray that every believer stops being healed. Uh, No, because right there in James 5, it tells us we need to be praying for healing. Absolutely. But it's a compare and contrast deal. Do we spend as much time praying for people who need Jesus as we do already praying for people to be healed, other Christians? You know, when Jesus prayed... In, in John chapter 17, for believers, he prayed that they would go to where he's going in heaven. And we should absolutely pray that people are healed. We, we need to, we have to. I've seen people healed instantaneously. We shouldn't cut back on praying for healing. We should increase our praying for the lost consistently, constantly, because people need Jesus. And so he says, pray for one another that you may be healed. And then that last part of the verse, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or, Or this is what it means. The urgently active prayer of the believer is incredibly powerful. The urgently active prayer of the believer is incredibly powerful. When he says the righteous there, um, he's saying you have been made right, you've been justified before God, and so that is a Christian, that's a believer, that's a follower of Christ. So the prayer of a believer has great power as it is working, as it is active. But what does it mean to have an active prayer, to have, to have a, a working prayer? Well, let's look at that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it. If you have faith, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it. If you have faith, you ever heard that verse? Have you ever, whether it's right theology or not, which I will say many times when we we say it, it, it is, it is not think, well, God didn't say yes to this prayer because I didn't have enough faith. 
God didn't say yes because I didn't believe enough. That's not what Jesus is meaning when he said that in Matthew chapter 21. The faith he's talking about isn't just a surface-level faith about a one-time deal. It's a long-lasting, lifetime faith in salvation. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that is, he's talking about salvation faith there. He's talking about gospel-believing faith there. To please God, to, to, to have God pleased with you, that is following God's will. You follow God's will by believing in Jesus, dying and raising from the dead, and getting saved and going to heaven with eternal life, and then demonstrating that for the world like we saw this morning in baptism. And so he says, that pleases the Lord. And when you have that kind of salvation faith, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. And so thinking about that, though, you say, okay, Jesus, you said, whatever I ask in prayer, I will receive. Well, you're not wanting to say this out loud, but some of you are already thinking, well, that's not always the case. Like, sometimes I pray for stuff, and, and I don't see it happen the exact way that I prayed. Like, God will do something else, or God will just straight say no. And it doesn't happen like I want. Well, we're going to take a look at that here in a sec. But we see how important prayer is by the very fact that Jesus himself prayed. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 35, it said, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, the theology behind this verse brings me to my knees. <laughs> Jesus Son of God, Jesus, who is God, goes out and prays. Jesus, who is God, goes out and talks to God. Now, if you fully understand that, we will issue you a PhD right now on the spot, and you can come up here and explain it to us. This one is hard to grab, uh, but however you shake it out, Jesus is demonstrating something for us here. Because in the very next section of scripture, the disciples show up and say, Jesus, where have you been? And Jesus said, well, I've been praying. And they said, everybody's looking for you. And then Jesus says, okay, let's leave. Well, I love that section. But this, this idea, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went off to a desolate place and there he prayed. He had to get away from other crowds. He had to get away from the disciples and go off by himself to pray. Jesus, great Jesus, had to get away. Do you ever have trouble getting away and praying? If you have little children, say amen. <laughs> they are blessings and they are incredible. But this is a hard thing sometimes. But it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark outside, Jesus left and went to a desolate place. That's a, that's a, that's a place all by himself. And he prayed. He spent dedicated time. And if Jesus, if there's ever been a person in the history of the world who didn't need to pray, is Jesus. Because he's God. And he's praying to God. But he still does it anyway. He's showing us how vitally important prayer is. That if he goes off and prays in preparation for the day and, and, and for what's coming, then absolutely we ought to. There never should be a day that we function without prayer. We need to go out and do it. So Jesus prays. And then he gives an instruction about what prayer 
is supposed to look like, about what prayer can actually do. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds real similar to that last verse we looked at, right? When it said in Matthew chapter 21, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Here he says, uh, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a pretty big, I mean, that's a promise here. You pick up on that. You can write that in your Bible. Promise from the Son of God. Whatever you wish, ask it and it will be done for you. What is the biggest thing you've ever prayed for? Biggest thing you've ever prayed for? Just think about it for a sec. It was a, a story that I read this week preparing for this message. It's about this little kid praying in church. It was after the service. Kid was kneeling at the altar praying. Pastor happened to walk by and overhear this kid's prayer because he's praying out loud. And it blew the pastor away. It was profound and impactful. He thought, man, this kid, this is a deep prayer. But interspersed throughout the prayer, the kid would say, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. And the pastor thought, that's kind of weird. Like, okay, but then he go, the kid goes on, he's like, well, that part's amazing, but I don't get the Tokyo part. Well, the kid finished praying and stands up, and the pastor just stood there, and he says, I gotta say, young man, that, that prayer is that's deeply convicting to me as the pastor to hear you pray like that. But I kind of ask, like, why are you saying Tokyo so much? And the kid said, well, honestly, I, uh, this was on a Wednesday night. He said, I had a geography test today, and I was asking God to make Tokyo the capital of France. <laughs> Sometimes our prayers can be so big, we're not quite sure what God's going to do with them. I'm not saying you're asking a prayer like that, but have you ever had a prayer that you've been praying that is so big you've been afraid to tell anybody about? A prayer that is so big you've been afraid to write it down for fear someone else will see it? Maybe in the past few weeks, you've, you've, you've wanted to come and put a prayer on this prayer pew, but you've been too afraid to write it down in case somebody sees you writing it or they recognize your handwriting. And you, you, you're afraid that if you say it out loud to somebody or, or you write it down, that somehow makes it more official. Then if God says no, you're afraid of what that will do to your faith or, or what that will do to somebody else's faith if, if God says no or God doesn't answer the prayer exactly how you want it, do exactly what we want. But the truth of the matter is, you can never ask too big in prayer. Because prayer can do anything God can do. Prayer is, is when, when we're talking, I mean, prayer is a conversation, so it's listening to the Lord. But when we're making requests of God, when God acts and intervenes, there's nothing we can ask for that is too outlandish that is too big, that is too crazy a thing to ask. I mean, we saw in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua's fighting a battle. God had promised they would win the battle that day. Sun was setting, and Joshua said, well, God promised we would win. Sun is setting. We're not going to make it to win today because everybody's getting away. And so Joshua prayed out loud, yelling it on the battlefield, God, stop the sun in the sky so we can fulfill your word. That's a pretty big prayer. God, defy the laws of astrophysics and freeze the sun in the sky. Scripture tells us God did that. But Scripture's not the only thing that tells us God did that. History tells us God did that. 
They found records from China. They found records from the Aztecs. They found records from Egypt that say there was this one day, way back when, and if you trace it back historically, and I've got the articles if you want to read them uh, uh, from all of these researchers, uh, it all lines up to this one day when for some reason it was extra long. Because God answered that crazy, audacious, mind-bogglingly impossible prayer. Because one guy prayed something that everybody else would have thought was ridiculous. You ever prayed something that big before? Prayed something outlandish and crazy before? God's not afraid of big prayers. He says there, ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then uh, John 15, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And asking these prayers, a lot of times, sad to say for me, again, I don't know you, I don't, I don't know your spiritual life, I know some of you, but there's been a lot of times I pray for things that honestly will make me the most happy, that will make my life the easiest, right? That, that will make things so much better, or in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. But the point of prayer is not to get a life that I think is the best, the point of prayer is not to get a life that is easy or, or perfect in my mind. And so if that's the case, when Jesus said, whatever you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, there has to be something else going on in that verse besides just asking every whim that is popping off in our mind because this kind of prayer isn't like a blank check or a genie in a bottle or, or a wish upon a star type of scenario. There's something greater in that John chapter 15 verse. But in truth, that's not the only verse that talks about this. First John chapter 5, John writes, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So John really defines what Jesus was saying in the John chapter 5 passage. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says, ask according to God's will and it's yours. Okay, if I ask according to God's will, how do I know God's will? What can I get to understand God's will so I can ask in accordance with God's will? Jesus talked about that in John chapter 14. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Ask it in my name, and I will do it. Now, that's a very similar thing to what John said in the first John passage, ask according to God's will. Here Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. You see, because asking in Jesus' name, this is not a formula to be used in our prayers. So that when we say, in your name I pray, or in Jesus' name I pray, as though we're saying, okay, God, I said it in your name. That means you've got to do it. Because you said in your word, I ask it in your name, it's going to be done. So I'm saying, in your name, you've got to do it, Jesus. That's not what he means here. It's not something that is a, a checklist in order to get God to do what we want. You see, what he's talking about here is ask anything in my name. That is asking something that honors him. Because 
in asking it, you're, you're seeking to glorify God by using Jesus' name, by invoking Jesus' name, you're saying what I'm asking is honoring to him. I'm honoring him. We're, we're doing it. And it, you ever have your parents tell you, now when you go out and do that thing, you just remember you're carrying my name, so you're representing me where you're going. And so what we do then in representing who, where we're coming from and bearing the name of our family is seeking to honor them in our actions. And so by asking anything in his name, we need to be honoring him in what we ask. Or as you go back to the previous verse, verse 13, he defines it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So asking in Jesus' name means asking something that brings glory to the Father or asking it according to God's will. I mean, if you're asking according to God's will, then you'll be glorifying the Father. You'll be honoring the Father in how we pray. So really, I'm not saying don't say in the name of Jesus. I do. I say in your name I pray every time I pray. But it's not to remind him of what he promised there in John 14. Saying in your name I pray or in Jesus' name I pray, you're reminding yourself that you're praying in his name. So it's not something frivolous. It's not something you throw up just because it's what you do when you pray. But he's saying take this deal seriously because you're praying in my name. You're bearing my name when you pray. So prayer is a real deal. That's why in James chapter 5, prayer uh, is powerful as it is working. But Jesus does give us a way to pray in Luke chapter 11. Even though praying in Jesus' name is not a formula, there are times that we take this, the Lord's Prayer, as a formula. But let's look at it. In Luke chapter 11 verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, I love that, right? Jesus was praying, and, and apparently his disciples were near enough that they're hearing him pray. And they undoubtedly heard him pray many, many times before. But hearing Jesus pray, their instinct was, man, I want to pray like that. Like, Lord, teach us to pray like you just prayed. And so Jesus tells him this, verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. That's praise. When you pray, praise the Lord. Praise him. How holy are you, God? You can thank him for what he has done for you. That is a form of praise. But praise him. And then he says, your kingdom come. Now, that's a powerful sentence. Your kingdom come. That means, God, may your will be done, come what may. May your will be done no matter what. May God, may your will be done in my life no matter what that means. That's a hard prayer to pray sometimes. Because we may not always like what is done. It may be a hard road to hoe because we're having to go down a path we're maybe spiritually not ready for. But it's saying, God, you are holy. May everything you want done in my life happen exactly like you want it done. So your kingdom come. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. God, provide for me today. Personal provision. God, provide for me today. Give us each day our daily bread. What we need to get by today. Personal provision. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins. So confession, like James talked about in James chapter 5. Forgive us our sins. That's not just like a blanket, God, forgive me everything I did today. I don't really remember everything I did. Just, just, just blanket, forgive it all. 
But the idea here is forgive us our sins. It, it is a repentance. God, I don't want to be doing those things anymore. I want to change. I want to, I want to do something different. Help me in that process. But it's confessing to him that you know how you ought to be going down the path of life. So confession. And then he says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So help us, God, to mirror your heart of forgiveness. How much does God forgive us? Infinitely, right? He has forgiven everything we have ever done, everything we're going to do. And so what Jesus is saying is when we pray and, and ask God for forgiveness and, and thank God for his forgiveness, praise him for his forgiveness, we need to, in the same vein, be forgiving everyone else. Because let's ask the question, who forgives more, you or God? You say, but oh, preacher, man, you don't know what this person did for me, what they did to me and what they said to me and how they messed me up. Yeah, they may have. But Jesus forgave you. That would make forgiveness easy. It's not. But if we don't forgive, that unforgiveness turns into bitterness. Bitterness turns into poison. And it kills our heart. Kills us. Kills us. So Jesus said, forgive our sins. And the way he phrases it is phenomenal. He says, God, forgive me as I'm forgiving other people. How would you like God to forgive your sins the same way you have been forgiving everybody else? The person that you have the most trouble forgiving in your life. How would you like God to forgive you that much? That's a hard one. But Jesus says that's, what we, that's how we need to live in this forgiveness aspect. And then that final phrase, lead us not into temptation. That's guide us daily. Lead us not into temptation today. God, guide me today as I go about what I do. So in teaching the disciples to pray, Jesus said your prayers need to have praise. They need to welcome God's will no matter what. They need to ask for personal provision. They need to have confession. They need to help us mirror God's heart. And they need to be asking God to guide us today. And so that's a picture of what prayer is supposed to look like. And hearing that, and then praying, in your name I pray, help me understand that I'm honoring you in my prayers. We can still, though, in the back of our minds, the natural question is, yeah, okay, Pastor Josh, but what about that time that I prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen? Like, I prayed for that one thing and it, and it didn't go like, like I wanted it to go. And it didn't turn out like I was praying. I mean, I hear all this stuff. Pray, ask whatever you want. A uh, pray according to God's will. Ask in his name. Ask with faith. But what about when God said no? How am I supposed to process that? What am I supposed to do with that? Well, the Apostle Paul shows us that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you would think the Apostle Paul is about to get real personal. That if somebody was praying for a miracle, that of all the people in the world, in the history of the world, for God to say yes to, it would be the Apostle Paul. Greatest missionary to ever live. Seen so many people come to Christ. Us here today, Odds are the vast majority of us who are Christians are Christians because of the work that he did in the name of Jesus. And so he's going to tell us a personal situation that he came to God and asked for God to do something. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And there's all kinds of books that have been written about this verse and what, what exactly did Paul mean by a thorn in the flesh? You know, it could have been some sort of health issue that he was dealing with on a consistent basis that was not going away. It could have been a deal with, with a friend of his going through a situation that was not getting rectified or he was not finding healing in. Or, or it could have been a person or a group of people that were causing him problems. You ever have people in your life that you've thought of as thorns in the flesh? Don't say it out loud. Don't nudge them next to you. But have you ever thought there's some people who have been thorns in the flesh to you? Or maybe it's just a consistent situation he's going through that just will not stop. We don't know what that means, thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us, and that's probably why he doesn't tell us. We're not supposed to know. We're supposed to know he's going through something difficult. And look at what he says in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And some of you have heard me talk about this verse before. That word there in the original language, when he says three times, it doesn't just mean three individual times he prayed. It doesn't mean he prayed three individual prayers. That word times means seasons of life. So it says for three seasons of life, we're talking months, possibly years at a time, for three separate seasons of life, he prayed that God would fix this situation. He prayed day in and day out that God would heal this situation, that God would bring deliverance, that God would take care of it. And he prayed that God would do it for three dedicated seasons of life. He prayed, have, have that ever been you? That's been me. I know it has. You pray for something day in and day out. And you get to the point like, this is just never going to happen. I'm going to stop. Or, or maybe you keep praying all with, with the prayer of, okay, God, please do this thing. And I, don't, I know you're not going to do it, but just do it, please. And you just go about your day. And, and sometimes our prayers fade in faith. But Paul says, I, I, I pleaded. I mean, this is an urgent, weeping, falling on your face. He says, I pleaded with the Lord about this. Apostle Paul, I'm begging God that he would take care of this. But God said, no. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the, great, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness. The insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, when I'm weak, when I'm struggling, when I'm in pain, when I'm dealing with this thing that will not go away, I'm strong, not because of me, not because of my willpower, not because of my self-discipline. I'm strong because of Jesus. If it means the power of God is going to get me through it, he says, I would rather have the thing and the power of God than not have the thing and not have the power of God. Paul says, God told me my grace is enough for you. God told me, Paul is saying, stop praying me out of your life. I am going to provide a way through this. And it's only by leaning on me, answering that, give me each day my daily bread. It's only by following with me every day you're going to get through this. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul prayed for a miracle, but the miracle didn't come. Paul wanted healing, and God said no. Paul wanted healing, but what he needed was a greater dependence on God's provision. 
to rely on God providing for him for that day. So let's go back to one of those first verses we looked at. John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that's the qualifier. We didn't spend time on it when I mentioned the verse a minute ago. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. But he says, only will it be done for you if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And I'm assuming everybody knows what the word abide means because you all use it every single day in, in your regular conversation. You said this morning when you got up, I am so happy to abide in this day, right? Well, <laughs> I did not. That word abide, uh, it, it literally means, the original language, to remain, to stay, or be present with. So when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's saying, if you are present in me and my words are present in you. And the idea isn't just it's present with you in the moment. It's present with you just during the hour you're at church on Sunday morning or hour and 15 or hour and 30, depending on how long the preacher goes. If my words are, are present in you, the idea is on a consistent every day, it's at any given day during the week, my words are present with you. At any given day during the week, you are present with me. He says, if you are present with me on a consistent basis and my words are present with you on a consistent basis, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you are always present with Jesus and his words are always present with you, do you think that will have a profound impact on how you pray? Do you think that will have a profound impact on what you pray for? Let me ask it a different way. Have you ever come to realize the more time you spend with a certain individual, you begin to take on some of their traits? If the person is, is constantly negative, do you ever walk out of their presence more negative than you were before, more frustrated, more irritated, almost as though they passed the negativity on to you, and now you're carrying it everywhere you go? On the inverse side of that, have you ever been in the presence of somebody who is abounding in joy, and you walk out from meeting with them as though you're floating on air. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more time his words spend in you, everything about how you pray is going to change. Everything. And if you're spending this consistent, if you're abiding in him and you are present with him constantly and his words are constantly present, and, and his words cannot be present with you if you're not spending time in the word. If you're not committing some of it to memory, and you say, my memory's not any good, I'm there with you. I remember the second I graduated seminary, it's like my memory turned off. No more tests, no more memory. It's done. You don't need it anymore. It's gone. Then you hit 40, and everything's just haywire. It takes more effort than it used to, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. If you are present in me and my words are present in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, if, he, if we are present with him and his words are present with us, then what we're asking will be according to his will because we're so in tune with him, his will will be a part of who we are. We're so in tune with him, then what we pray will be in his name because his thoughts and his processes are constantly flowing through our minds. That's all we can think about. That changes our demeanor. It changes our attitude when we're thinking about him. 
Have you ever been thinking about the conversation you want to have with an individual but weren't brave enough to have in the moment? Like the things you would say if you could say without any repercussions? Those fake converts, none of y'all, just me? Yeah. See, I take off my preacher hat and I'm going to put on my for real hat right now. <laughs> I've had many of those conversations in my mind. If you, if you didn't know I was a preacher, I'd be all over your face. <laughs> Tell you what God really thinks of you. No, I'm not going to do that. Not saying I haven't had those thoughts. I'm a sinner. I'm a worse sinner than most of you. I said most. But, because in the moment I wasn't abiding in, in Jesus. His words weren't abiding in me. My words were abiding in me. And it took me down a rabbit trail that led me to a place I never thought I would be. Having thoughts processing my brain that didn't need to be there to begin with. Because I wasn't present with Jesus and his words weren't present with me. But if we shake it up a little bit and allow ourselves to be more present with him and allow his words to be more present with us, it will change us. Not just how we interact with other people, it will change how we pray. It will change what we pray for. That's why in that verse it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you are present with me and my words are present with you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, the point of prayer is not to get everything you want. That's not the point. The point of prayer is a realization of how much we need God. It's a realization that we cannot function in this life without him. We may try, we may try to go and make decisions based upon our past experience or make decisions based upon our gut instinct, but that's not gonna get us where God wants us to go. The only way we're gonna thrive in this life is realizing how much we desperately need God to impact us here and now. That's the only way we're going to get there. And Paul, remember we just read about Paul praying for three seasons of life that God would get rid of this thing and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul came to the realization that he needed God for everything. And he writes about that. I don't have this in the notes, Alyssa, so don't freak out. We're about to go off book here. This is Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Paul wrote, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger. He's talking about money here. Placing, I've learned the secret of facing plenty of money and learned the secret of being hungry all the time. Learn the secret of abundance and need. He says, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So when he says that verse, you ever heard that? I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Paul's talking about contentment, having lots of money and having no money. He says, yet it was, writing to these people in, in Philippi, the book of Philippians, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, his trouble of not having any money. Just to give you a little backstory. Paul went to one of the wealthiest cities on the planet to share the gospel, city of Corinth. Lots of people got saved, but the rich people weren't given any money to support the ministry. And so you know who gave? For the whole year and a half that Paul was in the city of Corinth, ministering to the rich people, getting them saved, who was funding his ministry? The Christians from one of the poorest cities on the planet at the day, from the city of Philippi. 
He writes in Corinthians saying the Philippians gave way beyond their means. And I said, you people need to stop giving because you won't be able to eat tomorrow. And they gave anyway because they trusted God would provide. And so Paul's writing this letter to those people. And he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. He's talking about salvations. That increases to your credit. I have received full payment, people getting saved, and more. I am well supplied and have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory and forever and ever. Amen. My God will supply every need. Every need. Every need. That doesn't just mean some of them. That doesn't just mean needs here and there. It doesn't just mean, you know, you know uh, 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 potential Needs, he says, my God will provide for every need, every need. You know what that word means in the original language? Every need, all of them. All of them. Even the ones you think it's impossible for God to deliver. Even the ones you think it's crazy for, that God would show up and do something phenomenal. I've seen it happen in our lives. I've seen it. It doesn't make sense on the balance sheet where the money's going to come from to pay your bills that month. God will send it in a way you never thought possible. He says, my God will supply. That's another promise. You hear that? My God will supply. He doesn't give God an out and say, my God might supply. My God may supply. It could happen possibly. He says, my God will supply every need of yours. Now, your definition of need and God's definition of need may not be the same. But he says, my God will supply every need. Every need. And so that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, we should never be afraid to ask. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. It will be opened to him. Which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will just give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, he doesn't mean you're all just evil, evil people. He says he's talking about sinners. If you have sin within your body, if you who are sinners know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You see, God far exceeds everything we think is possible in his goodness, in his graciousness. God, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to his power at work within us. According to his power. Let me tell you a story, and I'll close. Personal story, something happened to me. So this past summer, uh, the, just, I'll be completely transparent, all right? You ready for this? God told me this morning, be transparent with the people and give them hope. So here we go. During the month of June, our church had a very low giving month. 
And July, we had some very big bills from camps to insurance to several other things, very big bills. Um, and what's crazy is the deficit, or the, the, the lower than average giving in June was about $15,000. And the amount of bills we had in the month of July was about $15,000. And, and I remember, Jared, it was a Sunday, you came in my office and got that check for camp, and I said, well, let's just check, and I was like, whoa. Okay, hang on a sec. And, uh, and I saw those numbers matching that we were low by 15, uh, the average giving, and, and those, those massive bills that were coming. And we had to pay for camp. We took the check to camp. And I said, God, I don't know how in the world it's going to happen. Um, and so that week, they were at camp. I spent my, day, my mornings on my knees begging God. And we have had in the past some $15,000 Sundays. It's been a while, five, six years. And I said, God, okay, you know the situation better than me, God. Like, we need it. Like, okay, God, like, like, I don't know how we're going to pay insurance. I don't know how we're going to pay payroll. God, we need it. Sunday comes around, and, uh, you know, you pray for things, and you're hoping. And uh, I remember being, I was in the office uh, after the service, um, getting some stuff situated on the website with the video, and uh, Ray Wilson comes in and says, man, we had a big giving day today. He's like, $12,000. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that's huge. That's, that's, that's and it was an off Sunday. It's, it's a Sunday we don't normally have big giving. I said, that's, that's incredible, Ray. That's amazing. And I checked online giving. It was about another 1,000 or so. We had a leadership meeting that afternoon. And some of y'all are in the room, leadership team. You, you'll remember. I, I told the leadership team the story, the way the giving was and the bills we had and, and that I've been praying and God delivered it in a great way. We had a good meeting. We prayed. And uh, the meeting broke up, and I was in my office back. I was typing up the notes from the meeting, and I felt the Lord say, you know what? Why don't you check online giving just, just, just you know, one more time? And I was like, okay, God, uh, you know, it's Sunday. It doesn't usually process this fast, but okay, I'll go check. And so I log in, and I check the online giving, and it, on our dashboard, it, you know, on the main page, it shows how much was given, you know, the last amount that was given. And... Uh, I had the number that was given that day, and then I saw that number that was given online. I was like, huh. And so I punched it. I pulled out my calculator on my phone, and I typed it in. Kid you not. Kid you not. I immediately texted the leadership team. It was $15,001. And I said, okay. <laughs> uh, as though the $1 was just to say, yeah, I got this. <laughs> and some more came in later on that evening. Uh, well, I floated on that for a month. Oh, man, God, he delivered. Woo, I prayed exactly. And he, ooh, man, God, over and abundantly. And, and uh, a month later, I've got it right here. I've got my journal. In this journal, I, I, I write stuff down every day. And uh, i got places in here to take notes on preaching and um, different ideas and you know, records and stuff. But in the very front, I've got this section uh, for prayers. Prayers that some of you guys have told me over the years. And I've, I write the prayer and I write the, the date that I started praying the prayer. And then next to that, I got another column um, that are, are answers to those prayers. And I get a new one of these. When I fill the journal up, I get a new one. And I write the, the prayers that have been answered. I transfer to the new journal uh, with the date I originally started praying. And then over on the, the right column, it's the date that God answers a prayer, whether a yes or a no. And I write a Y or an N in it. And I looked it up. Uh, yesterday, I started praying 
in September, on September the 7th, this past fall, I thought, as I was, was still floating all of August on what God did in, in providing that money, uh, I began to think, is there anything too big to ask God? Is, is anything too outlandish that God won't deliver on? And I thought, man, I mean, seeing God do that, I mean, it, it transformed me. And it was amazing. Not that we should, we should always think God can do the amazing, because he is amazing. And so, again, being transparent, in my hubris, you think the preacher can't be prideful? <laughs> I wrote down, God, I pray that we would have a $20,000 Sunday. Let's, let's one-up that puppy. And in my pride, I began to pray that. And I prayed and I prayed and, and offering. We've never had, in my eight years of being here, we've had one, I believe, $20,000 Sunday, one, many years ago. Um, and I thought, if God can do 15, 20 is no problem. I just want to see if he can do it, see what God can do. And I began to doubt. That was September the 7th, October, November, December. And God always provides what we need, always, always, just in time, like he did in, in July. He always provides bills. He always provides what we have for, for um, uh, uh, different camps and kids who need to go to camp and different needs we have in the church when somebody is in need of something and when we express the need. It's, it's always, always, God always provides. Um, well, I began to think in, in praying through this, and I prayed through this every day, every day. I take this with me everywhere. Every day I would pray that. Um, but begin to think, as I'm sure some of you do, as you pray for something every day, that you may think is too big when you're not seeing anything close to that, thinking, okay, well, I'm praying for it. It's on my list. I'm going to pray for it. Like I pray for it. Like this family member needs to be saved and that family member needs to be saved. This guy needs to be healed. This person needs to be healed of cancer. And this person's got this. I need to pray. I'm just going to keep praying for this. Um, but you begin to doubt that you're ever going to see it. You ever had that? Like you're praying for something? You, you begin to doubt that you're going to see what's going to happen? Well, yesterday I came up here and uh, it, it, I don't know if you have known, you know, we've had some heating issues in the sanctuary. <laughs> uh, and it helps when we turn on these, these big old lights in here and help heat the room up. Um, we got, you know, the air conditioner over here is working at like 75% capacity. Uh, and we, we turn the lights on and it helps heat the room up. And so my prayer this morning was, God, please let the room be warm. And it was, amen. Um, and so I came up here and turned the lights on. I remember Lynette called me yesterday afternoon and said, the lights in the sanctuary are on. I, said, I turned them on to help us warm the room up. Um, and, uh, but when I came up here, I got the mail and I came to my office. And I have a joke with my kids. If they're ever in the car with me when we get the church mail, you know, there's only three classifications of mail. Good, bills, and garbage. Uh, and the vast majority of our mail is garbage. Uh, and so... When I got the mail yesterday, it was like five pieces of garbage, one from somebody I had no idea of, and, and um, I can't remember what the other one, the other one I think was just a bill. And so I came in and threw the garb I filed the garbage where it needs to be filed, and I put the bill in the bill thing, and I, opened, and I, I got the other letter out before I came in here, turned the lights on, and I opened it. It was from somebody I'd never heard of before. Actually, the, the main letter was from a church. That I'd never heard of before. And inside it was another letter with an envelope from somebody I'd never heard of. So I opened it, and it was a card, a thank you card. And it was from somebody who had been a part of our church decades ago. And they said, 
uh, our, our father, mother, passed away. And uh, they, we were writing to say what an impact our church has had on our family's life. Changed the direction of, of us. We remember many Sundays, many Wednesdays, many VBSs, and, and the impact it's, it's had on us. And it was in our parents' will that we, we send some money to the church. And uh, there's a check. It fell out there on my desk. And I said, okay. And I go to open. This has happened a couple times in the past. It's been $100, $200. And I open the check. You want to guess how much was on that check? $20,000. I yelled. And then I fell to the ground. And I thanked the Lord. And then I called my wife. And I said, you are not going to believe what is sitting here on my desk right now. Um, all that to say, don't come up and ask me for $20,000 just a second. <laughs> um, all that to say, we ask God for things all the time. And we start to doubt that things can be done, that, that change is going to come. Or that there's been times in the past God has said no, and he does. But he always says, my grace is sufficient for you to get you through it. But then he'll bring those reminders, and he'll say, I'm still here. And I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or imagine. So don't stop asking. You keep coming and getting on your knees before me and see what I'm going to do with you. It may not look like what you thought. You may doubt. You may not believe it. But you keep coming and see what's going to happen. Never stop praying. Never stop. And don't pray alone. Gather people around you to pray with you. Where two or three are gathered, I am there in their presence. See God come and deliver. See God come and bring power. See God come and provide that grace that is sufficient for you in ways you never thought would be possible. God never fails. Never. So here's the questions for you. What do you need today? What do you need? I mean, really need. Like, need. What are you begging God for? Like Paul said, what are you begging him for? Do you need deliverance from something? Do you need healing from something? What's your thorn in the flesh that you're begging for help with? Maybe today what you need is salvation. What you need is salvation. You need Jesus to come in your life. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. That's all you have to do to gain Jesus, to gain eternal life. And then there's nothing you can do tomorrow, no sin that is so powerful, you can undo your salvation. Because spoiler alert, you're not more powerful than Jesus. You can't undo what he did. Once you're saved, you're forever saved. So will you believe today in Jesus? Will you come to Jesus today? Come to Jesus for salvation. Come to Jesus for, for healing. Come to Jesus for deliverance. Come to Jesus for, for, for provision. Will you come to Jesus? In whatever capacity you need to come, will you come today?